Greetings, fellow future fossils. Michael Garfield here. Co-host Evan Snyder is falling through a mountain fighting the Balrog or something. And we'll be back on the show in a few episodes' time. But in the meantime, we have another fabulous conversation from Boom Festival in Portugal. This episode is with Mark Lee a.k.a. Somnio 8, one of my absolute favorite visionary painters, an incredible artist, both in analog and digital media. And you can find all of his stuff at Somnio 8, that's S-O-M-N-I-O, numeral 8.com. But this first in-the-person conversation that I've had with Mark took a completely different path down the rabbit hole of alternative physics and this parallel history of suppressed world-changing technologies. Not at all what I was expecting, and certainly an invitation to investigate some of these really provocative claims and fascinating avenues of inquiry that, that Mark brings up in this chat. And of course, one of the things about the future is its complete unpredictability and how that which we once laughed at and imagined to be impossible or ridiculous becomes true, becomes commonplace and matter of fact. So this conversation offered me, as I hope it offers you, a fantastic invitation to challenge my own assumptions and beliefs and to actually get online and and look up some of this stuff and look up the fabulous history of the inventors and the theories and devices raised in this conversation, which took place in the Museum of Visionary Art at Boom Festival, a wonderful venue for imagining the horizons of human potential, but also uh, rather noisy. You'll be hearing the soundtrack to Samskara, the uh, Android Jones and Tipper planetarium show, which was playing inside the art gallery throughout the day. And that underlies and scores our conversation at times very synchronistically and beautifully. At other times, Things get a little difficult to understand because of the background noise, for which I apologize, but we have to catch the inspiration and the magic where we can. And often these beautiful conversations that occur in the container of the festival environment are lubricated by all of the noise and hubbub. So kick back, enjoy. It's a short episode this week, but... We've got a lot of cool ones coming out. We're glad to be finally on a regular schedule with this show. Before we begin, just a reminder to subscribe to Future Fossils podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Rate us, review us. It helps get this podcast into the ears of other people who will enjoy it. Lastly, a heads up that I am writing a book called How to Live in the Future, a combination of evolutionary biology and psychedelic futurism. It should appeal to any of the listeners of this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about that and get your name in the acknowledgments, then you can find out more at patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. And with that, everyone, tune the quasi-crystalline antenna of your DNA to our wonderful guest, Mark Lee.
Well, hello everybody. This is Michael Garfield doing the Future Fossils on the Road special Boom Festival edition, and I am here with Mark Lee, visionary artist here at Boom Festival. Super excited to have you on the quote-unquote show, man. Tell people a little bit about who you are and, and your story. Okay. Um, I grew up in Wales. Pretty mundane kind of existence. I went into video game world after studying animation. Um, and then I kind of had a, a moment of what the fuck am I doing with my life? Working in, uh, yeah, working in London. Uh, I had a moment where I missed my train then one morning, and that was the morning of the London Underground bomb. So I slept late and woke up to a deserted city, basically. And a week or two later, I was like, I need to get out of here. So I went on a went on a pilgrimage to Burning Man and Peru and do ayahuasca and the usual spiritual pilgrimage thing. Along the way, I met. Group of uh, beatboxing puppeteers where they kidnapped me for four years. And the Fungineers? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I lived with them for four years and they just they introduced me to the visionary art scene and just the global festival culture, which was very amazing. It was uh, very refreshing to know that there exists the tribe, the global tribe. Um, and so, yeah, hang out with those for a while. And then they took me to Bali one year to, to do some just animation and uh, I just fell in love with Bali and then after that I moved there and after that just all these things started opening up all, all these opportunities, meeting all these people like scientists and engineers and architects and just different kinds of thinking. Um, the gap of just sinking into Bali and finding who I am and of doing painting and exploring virtual reality and augmented reality. And then uh, I met uh, a guy from California, Casey James, who's my, my best brother. Then he has a company in China where he's making domes and pyramids and aquaponic systems. And so I kind of spent half my year with him and we kind of work as like engineering and kind of new kinds of systems. And so that's kind of where I'm heading now. And then uh, also in Bali you meet crazy scientists and people that are playing with radionics and kind of over unity technologies and, and things so so I gotta stop you there um, tell us because I know that you know radionics and over unity stuff is uh, an area I'm super fascinated in oh, but yeah. I honestly don't know much about the modern state of that the those technology. technologies and like what's what people are doing with it right now right right so uh, the technology is based on a kind of kinesiological uh, response to the to the unconscious or the superconscious. And so this technology is basically a, a set of dials, and it was uh, it was invented in the in the 1890s, I think. And then it, the FDA closed it down, uh, made it illegal. And, but there was a bunch of people who kept going with it, and uh, the, most of them are dead now because they're all old people. But uh, the one guy who I work with right now, Don Paris, he's kind of, he was gifted the patent of the, this one scientist, inventor, who had many different aliases because he was being kind of hunted down, basically. And uh, so he, he, when he died, he was found with a gun in his left hand, shot his brains out, but he was actually right-handed, which so suggests some interesting things. Foul play, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, 
so he gave all this technology, his wife gave the technology to this guy Don that I work with, and so we started going together, and this was the last thing he created before he died, well, he created the chipset, he created the, uh, the, the microchip, which is, uh, Radionics is basically based on a scalar kind of idea of uh, two pancake coils very close together and when you put a high frequency signal like a sweep signal through there uh, it collapses the field and in that collapse there's some kind of a phenomenon where it goes up a dimension or into back in time or some, something. So is this related to the Casimir effect? There's like that slight yeah. attraction between right. really plates that are held really closely right. and, and like the idea of gravity all these things, uh -huh. some unknown science that is, that they were tweaking on, and so this um, so this one device that that he's doing now, so he's taking it, this guy Don, he's taking it to the next level. So the technology is basically a, a box with dials, and under there's a stick plate, which is like a rubber film, and under the rubber film is a is a bunch of coils. What happens is you turn into the idea of the target, which could be a hair sample or a photograph, polarized photograph, because it's got a holographic crystalline structure, and you can tune into the idea or the, the information field of the target, and what happens is, as you reach the tuning of it, you feel a distinct gravity pocket, and it just, the finger stops sliding around, it's like, oh, oh I'm stuck. So that's, that's basically then how, like, kinesiologically, your body is tuned into, tuning, in, you know, the intelligence beyond your conscious mind, this Superconsciousness is tuning into the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the uh, superluminal idea of the uh, target, and so the new technology now he's uh, implementing uh, LEDs, so you can actually see when you hit the gravity pocket, and that's like a like a more of a refined feedback mechanism. Back in the day, uh, when they first uh, invented it, they used a glass rod onto this technology, and it was a glass rod made slider of the patient's stomach, and with it they could diagnose cancers and tumors and illness within the patient. And it goes back even further, the history of the guy who discovered it, this German genius kid who uh, found this phenomena where when he when he was doing these tests with percussion, where he would hit the patient's stomach, he would find that when they were facing I think it was east, it was much more stronger in effect, and it broadened his perspective on what was actually going on in terms of you know the, the whole system of this planet and the magnetic fields and the body and and then so they started to refine then the technology of radionics and and sadly uh, the FDA. I think the Rockefellers of some rich family found out about it and because it was opposed to the pharmaceutical industry. They made it illegal. If you were found even mentioning the word radionics, you get put in jail for like 20, 30 years. Mm. That's where a lot of these scientists ended up in the streets. Sad life, like Wilhelm Reich. So, this is this sounds like a technology that is um, <clears throat> providing hard evidence of some sort of uh, like non-duality of mind and physics, right? Because there's, yeah, like, right. there's, there's like the idea has a gravitational effect and that there's an informational... Uh, so the question is, I guess for me, uh, what the hell are you doing involved in this conversation? Like, I mean, I've known of your work for years and you're a fantastic artist, but it's like one of those questions of like, I don't see, you know, Mark Lee radionics apprentice or whatever in the... So how's that mixed in with the rest of your life? Well. 
the sh it's all about shape, really. Obsessed uh -huh. with shape, the power of shape to to direct the the ether and the idea of the the ether is another conversation. But uh, yeah, another thing that was that uh, the Michelson Morley experiment uh, disproved the idea of a solid ether, like a luminiferous ether right. through which photons travel. But 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 it was before we understood that there was a fourth state, the superfluid state, right. and that's the actual state of ether. So yeah. they disproved something that doesn't exist, but yeah. not the actual ether. And there's been a, that. Just as a point of reference for listeners, yeah. like most of 20th century physics is based on a is based on a misinterpretation of the results of that experiment. Yeah, it was so a real basic uh, experiment that, that they did that didn't really prove the non-existent ether. They just yeah, just it's proved a, it's not a solid block, which it obviously yeah, isn't right. because we're moving around in right. it. Right. They were looking for some kind of drag or something. Yeah. The, but then there was tests and you know later on that yeah. There is the ether, and so if you can tap into the ether, then you can uh, extract, you know, energy and gravity and healing devices and frequency. It's like a, it's really exciting. So did you get here with an over-unity engine? No. <laughs> did you ride like some sort of uh, ornithopter bicycle <laughs> over-unity device to, to Boom Festival? Well, my body. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, okay, so does this, does this stuff, um, that's a, an interesting kind of avenue. Does, has, ha, how has this knowledge uh, affected the relationship to your own like physical incarnation? Oh, um... Well, it just propelled my interest and inspiration to a much higher holistic level where I'm just so excited by this exploration. You know, again, it's, uh, if it, because it's based on shape, you know, mm -hmm. and the idea of now we can 3D model, 3D print, and cast in different materials. So we can start to play with these, you know, these Fibonacci frequency ratios and relationships. And we can really go in and, and tune these things to a level we couldn't do before. And so on a, on a shape level, um, there's a really good YouTube video called Shape Power by Dan Davidson. Okay. And that's a really good general overview of the kind of principles that we're talking about here. Like he discovered early on that you could take a bunch of chopsticks, wooden chopsticks, put them into a polystyrene ball going into a point. And he, he uh, created this really sensitive gravity kind of meter. And he discovered that he was uh, actually generating uh, electrical gravitational fields from using wooden chopsticks. And from this then it just spurred on all his research into the power of shape. And in the, in the video he says amazing things about like making stuff fly and like, yeah, healing. And, uh, and again, so as an artist, you know, the idea of studying shape and uh, Material properties and uh, how we can mix those up in a, a at this time and age, you know, it's, it's I don't need a background in engineering so much, but if I have the ability to virtually engineer anything I can imagine with these principles in mind, then we can start to really cross the bridge between uh, art and technology in a in a really exciting way. Mm. 
Mm. So what is this device that you're holding here? Uh, so this is a... Can I take a picture of this? Yeah. So we can... This is one of the first prototypes of the Chio 2. So uh, the guy came to me, he gave me the chipset, and he said, can you put a nicer case on it? So within the case, we started to also develop, you know, uh, uh, Wilhelm Wright's concept of organite, and five metals, and tensor rings, and shape power, you know, the Sriantra, and the effect that has on uh, agricultural things. And, uh, so this is the magic here. This is the double antenna coil. Okay. So that's kind of where the magic is. And then this is a piezoelectric speaker and a LED. So that's the extra vectors in which it travels through. Um, so yeah, the inventor, towards the end of his life, I think he was researching the Lily Wave in America, where uh, John Lilly, he he discovered this carrier wave in which you could put information. And I think he was maybe working with some secret government at some stage and I think they took it and then started messing with it putting weird mind control things. This is the story I should Right, right. And so towards the end of his life I think he was playing with that and so on one hand I'm upset I'm, I'm with the people I work with it's like this place you're against Wi-Fi but the things that I know from what I know about this technology is that it was protecting me against mind control you know he was a uh, which is, I know it's a wild claim, and I don't want to bring it It's a, a tinfoil pocket watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's a beautiful little thing. Yeah. It, it really, it, it looks a lot like the schematics that I drew in high school for this, the time machine. Yeah, right. That yeah, I, I, was, that. Uh, I it was, I was writing a novel, a time yeah. travel novel, in which this, that me and my two friends uh, wrote ourselves into the novel like you do when you're a teenager, you know, and then like the f their future selves come back and like yeah, right. bestow this responsibility of this device that has no origin because it's like in one of those time loops where nobody invented it, you know, because he hands it to himself and then he goes back in time and hands it to himself. But the drawings were of this like super complex but organic looking bobble, and so that's that's one of those things where it's like you talk about carrier waves and like what kind of information is just sort of floating out there accessible to us. Yeah, right. So you're getting into engineering then now. Yeah, virtual engineering I like to see it. I like to, I really want to inspire more uh, artists to take up um, playing with 3D and using games engines because it's the ultimate tool for sharing any idea we can imagine. And the, the technology now is getting to a point where we can start to do these things much more uh, you know, instantly, rather than having to go through elaborate processes of technology, you know, modeling. Now we can just go straight into like schmooshing light around in the screen and then 3D printing and casting. I've been amazed at all the things I've seen going on with like ZBrush and Cinema 4D and this stuff, but it irritates the shit out of me that we're still limited to these very basic interfaces in terms of having to use a two-dimensional set of controls to create three-dimensional, four-dimensional objects. And it's, it's like, I'm really excited about what's going on this year because this is the this is really the year where we seem to have hit critical mass with gestural interface. Yeah, right. You know, and that we're like, you got stuff like uh, the Microsoft HoloLens now, and to like a lesser extent, like the the Vive. Yeah, the Vive. I think know. that's going to be the future. These uh, 3D control systems. It's really important to be able to like use my hands and sculpt something in that virtual space. Yeah. But I don't know. 
you know, because if we're really going to be like in there working on it all the time, then I want to be in there with my whole body. Yeah, you know, I don't want to just be like yeah, like reaching around, using a mouse and a keyboard. What yeah, a pain, you know. Yeah, so, really so, what other kind of like what are some of the projects? Um, so the pyramid project we're doing right now in Bali. So that's being built as right now as it's being finished. And I kind of miss being there because I was going to create the capstone and stuff. But I'll do it when I get back. Um, my projects. Uh, the newest project, you know, if you have you did the newest project. It's a long story, but um, this guy Sasha Stone, kind of, he was like this crazy studio, stadium rock star. And he quit all of it behind to go and do like a humanitarian work. So he went into the EU and created Example Zero, which was a free energy technology platform to protect scientists. And he created another one, which was uh, Humanitat, which was more of a political kind of thing. And uh, so he's, he was, he's in Bali and he, he's kind of a person that all these interesting people kind of circle around because there's like a, yeah, it's based on yeah, politics and technology. So they're going to do a festival next year, and now, so I'm helping do all the, uh, kind of, I wouldn't call it branding, but the concept, and, uh, and so like, like we're talking about this time-traveling device, so I'm going to play with the idea of the, the now glass, mm-hmm. so instead of buying a ticket, you buy this little USB device, and it's all kind of designed in an artistic way to represent, you know, like a, a little hourglass with a single grain of sand inside it. This represents uh, like stardust or our sovereignty or the idea that you know you own this piece of land which is a single grain of sand. And, uh, yeah, I just fall in love with the idea. And then creating a, a portal at the festival ground and then when you go into the festival the idea that you're outside of time and then from there we can invent, uh, invite uh, amazing speakers like Dan Winter. Oh, I love Dan yeah, Winter. I'm going to try and get all those guys. I'd love to get John Hutchinson over there. He's a bonkers. <laughs> I was familiar with him. For those for those who don't know, Dan Winter's uh, goldenmean.info is a, is a fabulous informational resource on on the relationship between... like His, his special interest is in phase conjugate fields. It's this like scalar, it is. you know, fractal, fractal waves um, that generate these uh, emergent patterns and the interactions between those patterns and the health of the human organism. And, uh, you know, he's, he's managed to connect it really uh, skillfully and playfully and, in, in, you know, with a kind of a, a weird nerd sense of humor yeah. to all of this esoteric, like, yeah. you know, John D's Enochian alphabet right. and all this ancient so the electrical weirdness. Engineering and how yeah. the, the, it's like the electrical engineering is the language to describe, uh, you know, energetic and plasmatic you are in the place for that. I mean, you're in this land of like ancient temple complexes yeah, and stuff, right. and like so much of Dan's work hinges or, or you know pivots around demonstrating how these ancient temples were actually designed mathematically to facilitate the transcendental states of consciousness. Yes. So you probably, I, I mean, I can imagine that you know being there is just like it is it's something else entirely. Yeah, I've got my, uh, my friend then who uh, works for the New Earth Project, he's uh, Juan, and uh, he's the architect, and he has inspired me a lot because he's, he's all about the, uh, the uh, bio-architecture, you know, about if, uh, if, you build an, if you build a building, if you can't grow a seed in there, then it's, it's a kind of a destructive kind of a container, and uh, so... 
what the resonances of certain buildings yeah, are buildings inhibit materials. seed germination. That's right. yeah. yeah, and it's interesting because with this China project, Casey, so he's in, he's uh, in researching um, new materials and uh, just kind of uh, prefabricated systems. And so it, it's great to have these two opposite sides to then come together as buddies and we, we kind of uh, try and think about new ways of like creating like basalt piping and just different kind of materials. Hmm. And then again, this uh, to do with the newest project, another friend, Frederick, he's, he's an electrical engineer. He's so inspiring because he's been involved with uh, kind of free energy and all these technologies, hydrogen for like 20 years and he was the um, he was kind of like the liaison in the example zero to go out into the world and find all these inventors and see what they got and, and see how applicable it is to you know to do it you know, mm. release well, this is super exciting. I'm gonna want to really yeah. stay in touch with you and like and all these people and yeah, you know. Bali. When is this? What is this uh, festival and when is it? Yeah, next April, I think it's gonna be called Ancient Futures. Oh, great! That's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gonna be really good. So I mean, we can go uh, because I'm not here with my co-host, who normally keeps me a little on the leash, oh, yeah. as, you know, as an engineer in New York and. Uh, He's a very like rigorous, critical thinker, so we try to stay away from like woo-woo shit a little bit. Yeah. But I am super fascinated, especially in light of the recent geological evidence that there was this massive comet impact 13,000 years ago. Yeah. Have you heard about this? Um, I mean, I have an idea. So over the last few years, there have been a couple of peer-reviewed papers and really prestigious geological publications on the layers of nano diamonds that have been uh, deposited by a comet that hit the North American continent, the North American glacier 13,000 years ago and evaporated um, the glacier and may have been the historical event that led to this like global story of a, of a flood. I mean, because if you look back, a lot of these ancient temple complexes are now just off the shore because the sea levels were 400 feet lower with that glacier in place. So there's actually this mounting argument that this all of this Atlantis mythology and all this lost civilization stuff is real. Like we're actually finding the evidence for it. And so this whole ancient future thing is really um, poignant now because you know as we're stepping into like a future where the internet has sort of devoured the world. They talk about like you know software eating the economy. And the funny thing about this march into the future is that by connecting everything to everything else, we are paradoxically reviving all of this ancient wisdom, indigenous knowledge, you know, animism in the form of like relating to the intelligence of our machines, you know, and I, and I wonder just like how much of this is going to like end up literalizing these like supposed new age mythologies about these technologically sophisticated ancient cultures, you know? And like, what is the, I mean, what's your stance on all of that? I mean, is it even like is it even relevant? Do you, I mean, you certainly don't need to believe in Atlantis to believe in the physics of this stuff, you know. But it is compelling. I mean, I feel I feel it's true. Like I have you know, 
inner experiences that suggest that it was real, that it, we were there and that, yeah, well, that's fine. We can always get back to that. So, uh, in light of all of this stuff, I'm sure you have a vision of what kind of future we're actually going to be living in. And, like, what does that look like to you? I mean, like, in the near term. Let's start in, like, the next 10, 15 years. Like, what do you think? Well, this festival culture is... So to do this on a permanent level, on a sustainable level, you know, with infrastructure, and I'd like to see that we start to build these things permanent with, yeah, 3D, giant 3D printers and magnesium oxide and cements, geopolymers, and and then yeah, these these over Unity technologies is not that it's not that complicated apparently. It's about tuning. Um, high-frequency coils to, uh, to the, these vortexes and if we can do that, you know, if we can get the energy, then we've got the, we can do anything if we've got the energy. We can desalinate seawater, we can repopulate deserts and turn them into jungle. And so, I'm really optimistic. I mean, I've seen it, I've, I've met these people. And Have you held an over-unity device? I've held the precursor to Yeah. Yeah. Coils. Interesting. And the signal generator pieces. It's actually um, the radionics technology. That's so. This one guy, which I shouldn't mention, so he's uh, he he bought a bunch of radionics uh, experimental kits from I can't remember the website. But it was basically uh, being able to. It was like an experimental kit where you could send wireless information, you know, like mobile phones through scalar antennas, like, like Tesla piles almost, from one point to the other, instantaneously, without any difference if you're on the other side of the planet. So you could buy these kits and just play with them. And so this one guy, he took, took a bunch of them, and in playing with them, he, he looked at you know, the output of some you know, uh, device thing, and he, uh, he saw over unity. And, so he started playing with it, playing with it. He's been running his house a year, for a year, I think. Interesting. It's like a suitcase size thing, just two pancake coils, signal generator, tuning it to the specific wave, you know, where one wave rides the other. Mm. And just, uh, yeah, mm. so again, the energy comes. And then from the same technology as well, high frequency, um, putting high frequency, you know, high voltage through particular shapes would create also there's that guy, the Iranian nuclear physicist M.T. Kesha. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's he's been working on something like yeah, that. Yeah, I've been following his stuff for a while. It's hard because I'll go down rabbit holes for weeks of listening to his talks. And, and then where's the proof? Yeah, and uh, the people at the newest they they went to talk with him too, and he was very arrogant and uh -huh. it was unclear what he was trying to do. But I've I've built a bunch of things like nanocoated coils and uh -huh. made some nanomaterials and. I made LEDs light up with, you know, just some, some seawater and some wires, and uh, that was pretty exciting. But it, it, it got to a point where I was like, okay, now what, now what? I was this usable, and I kind of put it on a shelf for a moment, waiting to see what they come up with. 
So I had this idea last night in respect to your, like with respect to your optimism for the future. Because I, I actually, you know, I've been uh, kind of fell off in the last few years with my research, but I've been fascinated by this stuff since I was in high school, you know, because I had a friend who's, her father was the, like the guy that introduced me to every conspiracy theory, you know, and one of them was uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tom Bearden and his motionless right. electromagnetic generator. Tom Bearden, he's the one of the pioneers of radio yeah. yeah. So I did a report on that for my high school speech really? class, That's yeah, amazing. on Tom Bearden's work. How did they react? Oh, they were, you know, fascinated, but skeptical, as you would expect. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in recent years, I've been thinking about it a little differently because I've been, as like part of my own kind of practice of cultivating my compassion and recognizing that the, the shift in consciousness that we need in order to move forward into a healthy planetary culture is one in which uh, no one is left behind, no one is marginalized, because there's no, there's no center and periphery anymore. It's like every node is the center, you know? So you, it can't be the developed world versus the undeveloped world or the elite versus the, the masses. And so it, it actually concerned me a little um, that the Occupy movement defined itself as the 99% against the 1%, when the 1% are holding 40% of the wealth, you would expect, it's like, don't we want to recruit these people? You know, don't we want to heal the rift between these these camps? You know, don't, you know, don't we want a solution that works for 100%? You know, and so I started trying to take the position of these these power elites you know to take the position of these these people that uh, don't want things to change uh, and one of the thought experiments that I had was that what if the reason that the over unity technologies and this you know radionics and stuff has been suppressed is because not not merely because we're you know concerned about maintaining a big oil monopoly or whatever but that somebody up there is like well researched and and like kind of wise enough to know that we are not ready as a civilization that if we were at this point in history to put what is essentially almost like a godlike technology in the hands of your average person we would we would what would we do with it a lot of people would probably just use it to accelerate the unsustainable consumption and mass production of waste goods and like creating super weapons and all sorts of you know horrible things and so i mean it seems like there's always the dialectic of history and like i can't you know part of my thing is i can't get over somebody i don't hear anyone talking about is you hear about this stuff with artificial intelligence, for example, you know, people saying we need to assemble advisory boards and panels to discuss how we're gonna make sure that this stuff doesn't destroy us. But I don't hear anybody talking about that with like free energy. You know, like what are we like how are we going to um, how are we going to prepare ourselves culturally for such a profound paradigm shift? You know? Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it's Especially the anti gravity stuff. Passports, borders, it would all become relevant because we can just go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a definitely a, a tricky one. I, yeah, I, I kind of tend, because I'm in Bali, you know, I'm in a bubble. 
I'm surrounded by things and it's kind of like a feel there. It's very open to to imagine and to create. And, and then, but yeah, when I do go back into the rest of the world, when I go back home to Wales, you know, just see the people and the state of consciousness. Yeah, and it's hard to think of these people ready and what would they do with it and what would happen if nobody needed, nobody needed to work anymore and you know, like it would. And that's the term of a disruptive technology, then you know, and it is true. But for me personally, I'm obsessed. It's and worth the disruption. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm not going to wait another lifetime <laughs> to be flying in space. Yeah, I. I mean, I have this thing about like. You know, why, you know, I, people buy a car, they buy a house, you know, it's like, why can't that be one thing? Right. You know, why can't we yeah. live in the vehicle? Right. Why can't the vehicle just... Uh, you ever heard of Ralph Ring? No. Uh, he, uh, so Ralph Ring was, he worked with this guy Otis T. Carr. Otis T. Carr was, was like a student of Nikola Tesla. Noticed how I was building disc spaceships within uh, in the 1950s, and he had a patent on it, and you can see these patents, these amusement devices that you can think there. But this Ralph Ring guy, he he does his kind of thing of creating floating homes. Hmm. Look at Ralph Ring on YouTube, and he's such a gen, sweet gentleman old man, and his story of the experiences he had with this, these uh, these spaceships. So, like, the locality of space and time. Uh, yes, yeah, such, such a good story. Otis How do you spell that? Tardis? Otis Tikar. I think it's T and then Ka with two R's. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's great. But yeah, yeah, we've had this technology for, you know, since the, I think the, uh, the Vril Society, you know, back in the 1920s or something, they were doing it, and the idea of breakaway civilizations and secret space programs, and so this technology, you know, we think about UFOs and aliens coming down, but it's not, it's, it's, these were humans, and this stuff has been, you know, yeah. the manners, you know, ancient histories. If we want to go, like, way out on a limb, I kind of wonder, you know, I have this, this suspicion yeah. that... We did actually fake the moon landing footage, uh, but it's because we went to the moon, and, and that they were there was already an established yes. like base there Maybe of some kind. Apparently. Yeah, uh, from a book I just read on the secret space programs, there's like there's like six of them. One from the Germans, one from a time when Reagan put up a thing wanting to unite the world. They created a, I think it was called Solar Warden, mm -hmm. I think, and then. A, Another one, which was based on a huge corporations just wanting to go off and mine planets and stuff. So, like a I can't remember the name of it. And there's another one. Yeah, there's like there's about six that are kind of kind of talked about. Yeah, we have a moon. So, so that's got to be at least a few more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in this book, is, there's this you know Corey Good in the last story. Hmm. There's this guy who he, he claims that he was a he was trained by some kind of governmental thing to to be a kind of an empath, empath mm -hmm. or to, to dialogue with these, uh, these, and he was like sent to Mars, and, and then towards the end of his kind of time, he was age regressed through some technology, 
and then put through time travel and was back to the time when before we started work. Oh, ain't that some really, shit? Yeah, it's really wild. It's it like, was, wait a minute, how many times, how many lives have I led, and then they just rewound me? Yeah, right. You know. <laughs> but and so what he was saying is that up on the moon, when that when they landed on the moon. There was a, a, a period where the footage cut out for like 10 minutes or so, and in that time, uh, it, the idea that they saw some you know, craft that was basically telling them to get off the moon. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they, they stopped it. Well, you know, that doesn't even that shouldn't surprise anyone listening to this, uh, at least to the extent that you don't even need to believe in there being like vastly more sophisticated parallel civilizations living on this earth to admit that there there is without any question evidence of secret space programs. Because like yeah, right. I know um, the the people. Uh, out at Synergia Ranch in New Mexico. They were the ones that built Biosphere 2 in Arizona back in the 90s where they, they it was, a, it was a, a prototype Mars base that contained a coral reef and a rainforest and living soil and all this. It contained all five major ecosystems. It had, it had lungs and the, the building, um, uh, you know, they grew all their own food and stuff. And it was, it was an outgrowth of a joint uh, international uh, secret space research project between the United States and Russia in the 70s. John Allen, the guy, the guy that invented Biosphere, was actually invited to, to build it in Siberia and chose America instead because he was born American. But he showed, he took me around, and he's like 90 now, and he took me around his office and he shows, he's got a map. He's got first of all, he's got pictures of like in the height of the Cold War. It's uh, NASA and the the CCCP. Uh, you know the cosmonaut force, whatever I forget what they were called, um, and they're like hanging out, you know. And it's like the whole thing was was a front that was used to to uh, puff up the military industrial complex. While behind the curtain, both countries were totally buddy buddy. Yeah, right. And and he, there's a map um, in his office. It's a geological and geographical map of Mars from the 70s that has never been released. That is like now you could probably find a map like this online, you know, because we've, you know, sent in more recent surveys. But we had this completely sophisticated, like as sophisticated a map of the geology of Mars as we did of Earth as of like 1979. You know, and, and there's just like. You know, it, but I asked him, I asked him, you know, like, uh, so do you think that there are secret bases on Mars? And he was like, no, because my experience of bureaucracy is that it's these people don't know their ass from a hole in the ground. Like, it, we just could not, we could not get it together, you know. But I was like, but then there's like Arthur C. Clarke's third law, or no, not third law, the first law, where he says, if an elderly distinguished scientist tells you something's impossible, he's probably wrong. <laughs> So I take his I take his negation as like you know evidence that yeah. there probably are Mars bases at yeah. this point. Yeah, you know. <laughs> jump rooms. And yeah, jump rooms. Yeah. yeah. Teleportation. Why not? I mean, if we can send a cell phone signal instantaneously yeah. through space, why not? Why not uh, Brundle fly that shit? You know. <laughs> I mean. You know, if you get post-traumatic stress disorder coming back from Iraq, like what happens to the people who come back from 
Mars. Well, apparently they get their minds wiped and yeah, from the <laughs> yeah, yuck. So I was explaining to you earlier that this whole podcast is sort of based on a premise of recognizing that this will probably be a very important moment historically, like this period that we're living through, if for no other reason than we're recording more and more and more all the time, to the point that Kevin Kelly, in his latest book, The Inevitable, uh, Understanding 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future, says one of those forces is recording and the ability to play back. You know, he says if you look at early film, that early film was only experienced once and then we invented the VHS and then it changed the way that we made movies because the movies uh, suddenly were something that people could watch over and over and over and pause and rewind and like and television you know you could never you know if you didn't see it when the show was on it was you weren't gonna see it again and but now all of our video media is designed from the start to be watched over and over yeah so we're getting to a point now where this is um, increasingly the case with everything in our lives, with our, like, you know, the Facebook timeline and, like, being able to search your email history. And, like, the more cameras we put in public spaces, the easier it's going to get to be to sit on a park bench with your Microsoft HoloLens or whatever and rewind the day, you know, and, like, go back and be like, I wonder who was sitting on this bench at 8 a.m. So there's this, it feels to me like maybe one of the preoccupations of citizens of the future once we're, we've been um, freed from wage slavery by over unity and, and artificial intelligence is that we all become digital archaeologists and we all mine the meaning of all of this data pollution that we've created. And so I'm curious how you imagine that this moment will be remembered or understood or like what won't necessarily be immediately obvious is something that you might want to communicate to that future self that includes but also transcends you. Wow. That was a good question. I mean, do you ever do you ever think about how the future is going to look back on this? I mean, that's the simpler I mean, I version. Really? I yeah. Guess. Well, I will from now on. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you and your friends sound like you're kind of in the position of being remembered in that, like the way that we remember Buckminster Fuller now, or something. You know, the way that we remember Tesla. You know, that there's like these waves of Renaissance kind of, you know, holistic creativity and. That's fine, yeah. yeah. We can always do a follow-up over Skype yeah, and we'll get a much cleaner recording. Yeah, give me some you know. homework. Yeah. <laughs> you have any questions for the future? Um, no, not really. Pretty present. Mm-hmm. Pretty excited. Excited to get back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right on, man. Well, dude, it's an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And we, we absolutely, like, I would be remiss not to mention that Mark is just one of my favorite painters. An absolutely t- amazing artist whose work has 
a sensitivity to it that I find rare even amongst the uh, sacred feminine obsessed visionary art movement that there's something very like shapely and gentle about your your work even in its like flaming intensity (laughs) you know so please folks go check his stuff out what is your your website for listeners Uh, my website I'm still working on it but it's somnio8.com it's somnio which means in Latin I dream and then eight for infinity so I dream Mm. So you do. (laughs) Right on, man. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. Not done here, and we may not ever figure it out. We probably won't figure it out.